Charity. Hi, Sam. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 226 of the Snack Covenant. Ah,、uh, the big 226. Hey, Richie. Yes. My Velka sense is tingling. Oh no. Who's here with us? Velka. Oh, it's 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 Drake. <laughs> <laughs> you almost had me. <laughs> Hi. But there was a there was another guest appearance, and it was Velka herself. <laughs> Jake just got a YouTube button. Oh my god! That's、yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah, hundred、yeah. million subs. One hundred million. Woo! Incredible. That was hard work, but you know, on to the next hundred million. This is、um, the first time we have talked since 2016. Yeah, yeah, because we we did a thing together with、uh, Aegon and Redgrave. Yep. Well, I watched that back recently, and I want to apologize for my terrible performance and how awful I looked during it. Nah, you're good. <laughs> you're no, Richie was、fun. not good. Richie looked like life was <laughs> ending. I look like an Aldrich cultist. I was in the middle of writing a 400-page dissertation and was just like the living dead at that point. So, ah,、uh, right, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Jake, do you want to know a secret? Yeah. Okay, you were discussing a part of the game Richie has not yet played when he was on your podcast. That's true. Yeah. Oh, really? I had not played Ashes of Ariandel when we、oh, discussed、damn. it. I was just faking my way through it based on the trailer. <laughs> Oh yeah, there's snow. Yeah, the, I yeah, like the yeah, snow. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad that like everything's out in the open and we have no secrets from each other. Yeah, yeah. So Jake, before we start, tell us a little about yourself. Um, yeah, I, I talk about Dark Souls on YouTube. Uh, mostly, you know, like your basement dwelling conspiracy theory. You know, red string on the wall. <laughs> kind of guy. Sometimes I talk enough bullcrap to where it makes you think, "Oh, you know what? That kind of makes a little bit of sense." And then、uh, that's where I find the fun in Dark Souls. That's where I like where I like to go at. If you're looking for like super straight, always canon, kind of to the point, then yeah, this, I'm not your guy. <laughs> Sounds like someone I know. I mean myself. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. What we did is we asked people on Discord what questions they'd like you to answer, and we compiled them on this Google Doc. The first question is from Executioner Princesse Bori, and she's asking, "What got you into Dark Souls, and what keeps you interested in Dark Souls?" The very first time I ever got into Dark Souls was like. 2012, I think, right after, or no, no, it was later than that. I think. When did Dark Souls One come out? Hey Google, when did Dark Souls One come out? Dark Souls Initial Release Date is September 22nd, 2011. September 22nd, 2011. Thank you, Google. Google, stop. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> 
Ironically enough, I wasn't like a, like a super big gamer in my early 20s. I, I used to play in bands a lot. And uh, so it'd be like me and all my friends would come over and we'd be playing music together. And then we'd play like uh, the party games whenever we did get around to playing. Like we'd play like random COD games and stuff like that. And one day one of my friends brought over Dark Souls and he was just playing it for hours by himself. And I was watching him the whole time. I was like, this game is like really intriguing. And I started playing it myself shortly after. And then I played it for like maybe a year. And then I was finally like, this game has a story? <laughs> uh, <laughs> because you can, you can absolutely avoid the story uh, countless times playing through Dark Souls. And then I kind of got into that for a couple of years, kind of on my own. And then, yeah, the one day I made a video to like sarcastically prove a point to a friend. I just kept doing it because it was fun. But uh, what keeps me interested in Dark Souls is the fact that I've been like digging through lore for like eight years now, and I could still like find new things or find like ways to connect different things to things I hadn't before. So that keeps it really fresh. That the fact that you know something that's been out for years can keep surprising me. Yeah, it's true. It's very true. Soulsborne games. Indeed. Sin, what got you into Dark Souls? Interesting you ask. Technically, technically, it was Todd Howard. Nice. Thank you. What about you, Richie? I got into it because it was from software. I had really liked From Software's output as a teenager, and then I didn't really play any games for about 10 years. And then I got back into playing games in like around the same time Drake is saying, like um, late 2012, early 2013. And uh, when I did, I was just looking around and I saw the From Software logo, and I thought I remember them. And uh, I got Demon Souls that way, and then I it sort of progressed from there. Thank you, Jake. Thank you, Richie. And the next question is by Armaria Nun, Moonlight Berserker, and Padeko. And they have questions about the Dark Soul. So, what is the Dark Soul? It is, in a sense, a Lord Soul. It was found near or at the advent of fire, but it is very distinguishedly different than the other Lord Souls. And I believe that the first three Lord Souls, the one from Nido, Witch of Izalith, and Gwyn, were found within the first flame. Uh, but when the first flame came, it created disparity. You know, heat, cold, light, death, mm-hmm. light, dark. Yeah. And I think the disparity is what created the Dark Soul, rather than mm-hmm. the flame itself. Yeah. This is like a series of questions that kind of all touch on like the nature of, of disparity and flame and stuff. So do you want to, do you want to actually answer them one after the other, or do you want to look at them? How long have you known me? All right. <laughs> okay. Take a guess. How do I want to answer? You want to, you want to follow the outline. Thank you, Ritty. Yeah. <laughs> so Jake, let me ask you a question. That's not on here that I'm interested in. Okay. What is the consistency of the dark soul? Um, what, Richie? You got something to say? No. I mean, there, there is a canonical answer to that question, even though <laughs> you're asking it because it's because it's annoying. I'm not. Oh, my God. I'm not 
it's annoying. I feel like I'm getting in the middle of something here. <laughs> <laughs> but my answer would be probably similar to the abyss. And in that regard, it would be like a like a like a viscousy, goopy black thing. Mm-hmm. Richie, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it just straight up says that the dark soul is like it's it's different to other kinds of souls because it's heavy and viscous, and it's it's apparently there's a sort of warmth that emanates from it. Uh-huh. The idea of like. It is the opposite of the light. It's the opposite of the sun. So it's instead right. of being this like airy, ethereal thing that is floating above you, it's this heavy kind of slimy thing that's sinking to the bottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Jake. Thank you, Richie. What makes the dark soul unique? I mean, I, kind of, I think that kind of goes back to kind of what the dark soul is in in my idea of being birthed from the disparity that the fire created. And I mm-hmm. think that's one of the bigger things that sets it apart from the rest of the Lord's souls. Mm-hmm. Whereas, because the other Lord's souls were brought on by the fire, that's why they are more powerful like in the height of fire, whereas as the fire fades, humanity becomes more powerful, the dark becomes more powerful. And unlike, I guess, the light souls, the dark soul is more connected to humans, right? Yes. Yes, I mean, humanity itself is just fragments of the dark soul, albeit probably incredibly tiny in comparison to I guess, the size and power of, you know, the dark soul. Or what it was initially. So you're saying humanity is a chibi dark soul? <laughs> Yes. Awesome. (laughs) Okay, thank you. What is the difference between the light and the dark souls? I would say, you know, the uh, their influence and on the the scale of which they grant power to those who wield them. You know, the the height of fire when fire the age of fire is at its golden era or whatever. The the light souls are more powerful, whereas you know, as time goes on in the inevitable age of dark dawns, uh, humanity and the wielders of the dark soul are more powerful because the fire's power is waned. Whereas it, because of because of it being waned, the dark is able to grow. Mm-hmm. Cool. Richie, any thoughts? The way in which I sort of differ is that Jake is talking about the dark soul as being born from disparity and the other three kind of being in the fire. Whereas to me, like the whole cosmic setup is because of the disparity, because you have this world where everything is gray and everything is unformed and there's sort of no hard boundaries and there's no beginning Mm -hmm. or end. There's no time. There's no life or death. It's just this eternal present. And then suddenly this, this flame is cast upon the world and that changes everything. And the, the four souls that are born from that fire, uh, they're just manifestations of that disparity. So you have, you have a, you know, the, the nature of a disparity is you have two poles, you have you know, two opposites, and then you end up with these four souls. So it's like four sets of like, it, it's two 
opposed pairs that are then opposed again. So it's like two dis like a disparity squared, and that's what everything's born from. Right. Like we we've talked about this before. Um, Dark Souls 2's translation made it a little weird because they talk about it like there is actually a cycle of light and dark that's going light, dark, light, dark, light, dark, light, dark. But the way it's really like set up to work is that there's the Age of Fire and then the Age of Fire is just ending and there's not been an Age of Dark yet. And it's just like when the Age of Dark happens, that's just the next phase the world is going to go into. It's like if you look at some mythologies like the i think uh, mesoamerican mythology does this you also have like the mythology of like a golden age and a silver age and everything like there was an age of ancients Mm -hmm. now there is an age of fire when the age of fire is ended there will be another age and it will be distinct and different from the age of fire will not we will not go back we will not do the same thing again so what i see like the age of fire as it is the midpoint or the end point or whatever between these two poles, they are pulling against each other constantly. It's not a binary, really. They want it to be a binary. The gods, the people who are in charge, they want there to be this binary, like, hey, there's just light and there's just dark and there's just life and there's just death. Because that's how, that's sort of the world that they came into. That's the world they understand. That's the world that they can control. And then what's happening by the time of Dark Souls 1 and then following on 2 and 3 is that that binary is falling to pieces. Like the the tug has sort of like pulled it away from that towards something that's more ambiguous. And that's why the worlds of... You know, one, two, and three are the way they are. It's why suddenly people are born and they don't die because, like, the notion of life and death is sort of breaking down. Like Soler says, like, time is convoluted because the notion of of beginnings and endings has started to fall apart. So so what they're getting at with the ash in three, the reason they keep invoking ash and they're invoking trees and dragons and stuff is it's taking you back to the beginning of one before these four souls sort of were wrought upon the world. Right. Before all these things started to like have a defined form, it's kind of going back to that. But then at the same time in three, they are invoking the notion of like, well, there is going to be another age following this. What will it be? So you get like the profaned capital with like the, the Manus monsters crawling around and you get Aldrich talking about like the future will be a great sea and you have the deacons of the deep. The future will be like the deep and the dregs and the things that live inside the dregs and everything because the world is changing again. I guess, like, the nature of of the dark is just that's what will happen when there is no fire. It's not like, you know, the dark, like it's some sort of, like, like villain from a, like, 80s fantasy movie or something. It's just like, this is just the natural way things will progress. You introduce light into the world, the light fades away, you're left with the dark. Like, that's just how it sort of functions. Right, right. Oh, well, I have here... A Dark Souls trilogy compendium, which really uh, amazing. Yeah, there's about 50, 60 pages of lore in the beginning of it, and some of it's quite interesting and adds kind of a new perspective on what we knew from before. And I'd like to uh, read a paragraph, if I might. Thus, ages of fire and dark are characterized by opposing forces and can be compared to the changing of seasons from summer to winter, albeit on a far broader and more consequential scale. An age of fire is a period of time ushered in by Lord of Cinder, during which the power of light is strongest and the divine beings aligned with light are prosperous, while an age of dark is heralded by a dark lord as the light fades and is a time during which the world is dominated by humankind. 
which is interesting, but it doesn't obviously doesn't answer the the definitive <laughs> yeah. question of how many ages has there been. Then why did you read it, Jake? <laughs> I told you as soon as she gets used to you, she'll start doing this. Good, good, good. I encourage it. I can take it. I have two children, two two young daughters. Oh, cute! And they are mean to me. Aww. Oh no! In fact, when I got my YouTube play button today, I went outside in the mail because I heard the UPS truck, and I was so excited because I knew it was coming today. And I went out, and I got in the box had YouTube, and I brought it in, and I was like, "Woo!" Like, and she was on the couch watching uh, Preston play some like Minecraft YouTuber, and she's like, "What's that?" I was like, "Oh, it's my YouTube plaque. I got a hundred thousand subscribers." She looks at me because. Preston plays has like 10 million. And I'm like, (laughs) what do you say to that? (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you. (laughs) And you're like, you know what? Block. I'm a Minecraft for you. You're grounded. (laughs) Thank you, Jake. Thank you, Richie. So the next question is, why does the intro say the hollows came from the dark? This is the thing when we've talked about the intro that's come up a bunch. It's actually like it's to do with the way it's edited and how the narration lines up with what's on screen. Because what happens is the narrator goes, and from the dark, they came. And that's when you see the hollows rise up. And then she's like, and they found the souls of lords. And then you see the, the three lord soul wielders, which makes it look like and, like, a lot of people thought this at the time, but, like, it's subsequently sort of, like, we've revised our, our thoughts on it. It makes it look like what happened was there was the fire and then all these little hollows got up and three of them happened to find, right. they just found these Lord Souls and, like, poof, and now suddenly they're Nido, Gwyn, and the Witch. Right. Ooh, but, a piece of candy. Yeah, yeah. But the, the more that, like, we've looked into it, particularly with... Um, people who've done like work on the Japanese script and like um like we talk with Loki a lot. The more we've looked into it, the more it's like, no, no. Um all it's saying is from the dark they, as in everything, came that's right. not a dragon. So presumably, however it works, like Gwyn, Nito, and the Witch were kind of already down there, sort of like they were now, just not as powerful. They found right. the three souls and then when it's like and the furtive pygmy so easily forgotten it's actually because this this is again it's like a translation thing because we we know now that like there's apparently eight of these quote-unquote pygmy lords and there wasn't one um right uh because i guess like japanese does stuff with plurals that like it can translate weirdly but basically like as far as we can tell it just means that like the the hollows like what we know of as hollows they collectively found Right. the dark soul and they split it among themselves as opposed to one specific furtive pygmy found it and then they split it among them it's actually like no your ancestors collectively found this thing and they shared it among right, themselves right. yeah like when you say we went to the moon in 1979 yeah. you don't yeah, exactly mean, yeah. yeah 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 i got it uh not according to the union you didn't <laughs> <laughs> that's probably a different podcast topic <laughs> I would offer a probably stupid, simplistic answer to that question, and it could just mean when the fire created the disparity, they were in the dark because dark was a disparity, and that's where they came from, like a dark cave. Yeah. 
No, I'm pretty yeah. sure it, 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 it is, because it's literally, like, from then you see, like... The thing about the intro is it, it's this big mythic story, but it, it renders on screen as, like, something that's physically actually happening in front of you. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of ambiguous as to how much of it you are supposed to take literally. Right. But, like, yeah, like, the notion is, like, again, like, there's, there's the fire, it creates the disparity. One of the disparities is, like, there are suddenly shadow cast upon the world and then right. out of the shadow of the fire come the things that will then overthrow the dragons. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thank you, Richie. Thank you, Jake. And the last question from the section is, what are the origins of madness? I mean, it's just hard to say, like, definitively, because there's not a lot to go on in terms of, like, where who was he before he turned into this beast and spawned the abyss and all this and that. Mm-hmm. And I think before Dark Souls 3, a few people assumed that Manus was the pygmy mentioned in the intro. Right. Yeah. yeah. But after Dark Souls 3, it was like, oh, maybe not. Well, what what happens with the whole Manus situation is that, um, what's the, try to find the exact line. There's a line in it where they say like, they, meaning Seal, upturned the grave of primeval man and invoked his ornery wrath. Right. So a lot of people assumed, like, oh, that means they literally, like, dug up, like, the furtive pygmy. Like, they dug up the primeval man, and that's right. what Manus is. But if you sort of, like, sift through what they say and actually, like, look at who Manus is, like, the kind of character he is, it looks more like Manus is just, like, a sorcerer from Seal. Mm-hmm who dug up, like, quote-unquote, the grave of primeval man, which I think is, like, kind of like the Ring City, I guess, like the way that you meet the the pygmies and there's there's the eight of them around the... There's the eight of them arranged that it talks about, like, the Dark Souls buried there, like it's a grave and it's sort of, like, seeping into them. I guess they dug up that. And then, some like, basically what happens to Gale and what happens to Artorius happens, whereas they just sort of get infected by the the dark and he becomes this monstrosity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes, that makes the most sense is it? in yeah. terms of like origins, I guess really that's not super important as yeah. like where he came from, but rather what he became and what he did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you can see that the people around all the seal, they're like little mini manises. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, he's just a really big one of those. And I can't remember it or I would elaborate on it, but a few years ago I did a fun theory where I uh, tried to draw a connection between Manus and Half-Light. Or Half-Life. <laughs> yeah. Or no, not Half-Life, Half-Light. Half-Life, Half-Life 3? <laughs> yeah, Half-Life 3. Okay. But uh, <laughs> that was fun, but obviously I don't, I don't remember the exacts, or I would recount them here, but... Mm-hmm. Cool. Thank you, Richie. Thank you, Jake. So let's move on to the next question. And this one is from Star Hunter. How do fire keepers work? How did they get started? Does every bonfire need one? And if so, why? Well, uh, every bonfire does not need one. I mm. think we can see that in, yeah. as evidenced in Dark Souls 3. Even in Dark Souls 1. In Dark Souls 1, one, yeah. one yeah, they don't necessarily yeah. all need. Yeah, there's more than... More more bonfires than you would think in one seem to have had a firekeeper at some point because you find the souls by them. But it looks like it's only like the significant 
bonfires yeah. have one. Yeah. Like the forest one. Yeah, the little, the hidden one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Didn't seem to have one. No. But then, like, the, the there's, like, a, a dead firekeeper soul in Blighttown. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, like, presumably there was a fire here at some point. Like, the blight, the big, important Blighttown fire. And, like, there's the yeah. firekeeper soul in the parish. And it's, like, what well, sort of makes sense there'd probably be an important, like, parish fire. Because it's a, an important location. Yeah, and in the uh, New Londo ruins. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Firekeepers are tricky because, you know, like it, things we learn about bonfires in one are different than what we know in three, right? Because in one, talk, uh, there were a lot more firekeepers, obviously, than in three. And it would mention that, you know, you, you're feeding the bonfire humanity to keep it fueled. And the idea of having firekeepers was because they were a draw for limitless humanity. And that's what kept that bonfire fueled. But in Dark Souls Three, obviously, we have just mm. the one firekeeper and yeah. no humanity. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they're they're doing um, similar to what Gwyn does, where he links the fire by kind of throwing himself into it and keeping it going. They're doing yeah. a version of that. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 just like a cast of um, priestesses who oversee the the fires to protect them and make sure they keep burning and. That's sort of why uh, why it's sort of significant. I think in three that there's like the one firekeeper left because they're right. so close to the fire all fading out that we only have one firekeeper. But at the same time, there's that huge grave that's just full of all these dead firekeepers. Mm-hmm. It's such a desperate situation that they're just like constantly going through firekeepers who then die and have to be replaced with like the last sort of firelink shrine that there is. Right. Why do the firekeepers die? Is it like a natural death or is somebody killing them or did they forget to feed the firekeepers? Probably a combination of a lot of those things. Yeah. Some of them, like, you can sort of figure out maybe, like, it was, like, we we think the one in the parish was maybe murdered by Latrec. And then, like, the one in New Londo presumably died because they flooded the city. And then... You've got like the mass grave of firekeepers. I don't. I don't know if it's meant to be like a cyclical thing where they just die after their champion of ash does something. Or, I mean, we can kill them. Right. We kill them in in the um one of the endings. We do the maiden in black thing of standing on their head. Yeah, and yeah. you can technically kill the firekeeper before then, but she states that you know she has a job to do, so she simply yeah. can't die. Yeah. Also, like, they're all different sort of, like, species, weirdly. Like, like Quellag's sister is uh, one of the daughters of Chaos, and she is a firekeeper. Right. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Thank you, Richie. Thank you, Jake. And the next question is from Agent Funk. Jake had a video on how the first sin was actually about Isolith and not Gwyn, which I thought was good. I'd be interested in expanding that, or if he has any extra thoughts to share. I don't know that I have any extra thoughts uh, outside of what I put in the video. I just like I just like the uh, I just like the idea of that being the first sin instead of uh, Gwen, you know, linking the flame because that happened at least uh, a fairly significant time before Gwen linked the flame, and there's multiple references to. Isolith, like being referred to as a sin 
or yeah. being punished for their sins rather than anything else really being labeled as a sin throughout the game. And that's obviously the events of Isolith are like a huge part of the history and altered the world drastically. Mm-hmm. And um, Ol- Oldia, who studies the first sin, he sort of looks like the bed of chaos and he becomes a pyro pyromancer sort of yeah. character. So that sort of fits. Exactly. He's, yeah. Richard does a really cool Aldia impression. I've forgotten what Aldia sounds like. Oh. <laughs> he has like three or four voices at once, right? Yeah, Richard can do that. He's very talented. Oh, oh we can add it in post. Yes. <laughs> Hi, Richie here. According to Sin, I do a very good impression of beloved Dark Souls 2 character, Aldia. I don't remember doing an impression of Aldia, but I did talk to Sin about Aldia like three years ago, so I might have then. Uh, Even the note Sin has given me just says, I think you did Aldia at some point, that's what I'm remembered. So the thing about Aldia is that Aldia's actually two voices overlaid. There's the main Aldia voice, and then there's a female voice mixed into it, who I think is one of the Daughters of Manus. So Aldia's actually kind of impossible to do if you're just one person. But luckily, I do have Ibruitus and Little Slug Who Cannot Lie with me, and together we'll all do the Aldia voice. Many monarchs have come and gone. One drowned, drowned in poison, the other succumbed to flame. Still slippers in the realm of ice. Not one of them stood here as you do. Now. That was the Aldia voice. Back to the podcast. And the next question is from Cosmos Hero. Is Farum the nameless king, or is that a completely different God of War? Well, they do make a point in two, and kind of in three, of like the gods are worshipped sort of in different aspects and different places. But they make a big deal in two of like this god's been forgotten, and like they now have a different name or something like the like Velka, like fr- friend of Jake, like she is. <laughs> Yeah. Explicitly, they forget she's called Velka, and they but they still worship her in a sense. But they sort of forget the old traditions, and then like we've talked about this a bit, and we're not going to go into it because it'll take hours. But like the way that in um, in three, there is this like weird overlap between Kaitha and Velka, almost as if they're the same entity or aspects of the same entity. So the notion of like the nameless king like considering the nameless king would have gone a well like a really really long time ago the notion that like stories about him may have reached other places in like a another form after they've been repeated and repeated and repeated or just like he becomes part of the tradition there or he's he's worked into their personal pantheon or something like that as a a different name right the other thing of interest is that like for ram um, the Faram set shows up in three and it's worn by Albert. And Albert is mm-hmm. a knight of Lothric, which might be kind of what they're getting at that you have like the last of the explicitly Faram people 
is following like Lothric, which seems to have been founded by the Nameless King like a long time ago. So there's like a connection there. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it could go either way, but I think it's definitely like we can't discount the idea that a different land would worship something else as a god that's already, even if it's widely Mm. uh, known that, you know, the firstborn is the god of war. For like example, in Elder Scrolls lore, everyone knows Akatosh is like the dragon god of time, but the Khajiit worship uh, Akka, also known as the first cat, as like the god of time and stuff. Yeah, so. yeah. The other thing about two is it establishes that there's like there's like a dozen other gods that are mentioned once and we never hear about them again, mm-hmm. like Zinder right. and stuff. Oh, and it's like, who yeah, is this? So many. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's that's getting back to the whole like the way that Dark Souls is treating. The, like the concept of gods is not the way that if you're raised with your idea of gods being like Greek mythology, like that sort of pantheon, that's not really how it's treating them. It's treating them as just like very powerful beings mm-hmm. who people are choosing to worship. Right, yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And I had a question. So I pasted the forum set in discord that's the pharaoh knight so it doesn't mean that the god wore this right or um don't think so oh. i mean, my I, mean I guess again that goes either way it could be modeled off of uh maybe the hero that became the god uh pharaoh or whatever because if it is the nameless king they didn't do a very good job modeling the set off of his look no, right. no, it's oh, for sure. Oh, terrible. Yeah, they forgot the most fabulous part, the scarf. Yeah. Maybe yeah. only he's allowed to wear the scarf. Mm-hmm. So he's like me, only I'm allowed to wear scarves in my office. Yes. Yes. Because it's yeah. my thing. Yes. Oh. I actually have a cosplay. What happened was, at my old job, my co-workers, uh, we were all very close. Basically... They received a package at work, and in the package, there was a lot of, like, you know, that brown um, paper? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it was a lot and very long, and so what they did is they just put it around me, and they said, we're shipping you back to the Union. <laughs> <laughs> like, the way they <laughs> twisted it around me, it made me look like I have this giant scar, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm the Nameless King, take a picture. <laughs> nice. So, I don't know if I have it somewhere. So, thank you, Jake. Thank you, Richie. Why did the Nameless King eventually side with the dragons over his family? If he's the god of war and he's fighting the dragons while his family are, like, in an Orlando, he might sort of start respecting the dragons a little bit more. Because mm-hmm. they're, like, they're, they're fighting and struggling while presumably, like, Gwyn is just chilling. I mean, I Gwyn killed a bunch of dragons, but like you can sort of see that if you were, if you were the god of war and you were like, it, it's like a very like sin, sin. You know this from Reborn. Yes. But the idea that like you're fighting someone and then through through constantly fighting them, you come to respect them. Yeah. If, yeah. Are you saying God of War is the equivalent of Tsuna? Yes. Ornstein is Reborn. <laughs> 
Hey, Jake, do you know the super hit anime Katekyo <sighs> Hitman Reborn? I do not. What a casual. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Richie here. Did you know that Sin likes the anime Katekyo Hitman Reborn? If not, you're going to. Reborn is about a typical Japanese high school student who's running away from his responsibilities as head of the Mafia. Luckily, a talking baby in a fedora arrives to set him straight. This is kind of like how Ornstein's armor is found on a corpse in the Nameless King's arena, so it's kind of like Ornstein went to Archdragon Peak to try to get the Nameless King to stop running away from his responsibilities as the God of War, which also means that the Ornstein that you fight in uh, Dark Souls, and also the Ornstein that you fight in Dark Souls 2, they're not the real Ornstein. Um, the Dark Souls 1 one, they say that was that was an illusion or something that Gwendolyn created. The one in 2 just makes no sense at all, but we're not. I don't even think Sin knows about that one, so we just won't talk about it, because then we'll end up doing, like, Dragon Slayers of Dark Souls and exciting eight-part series. Back to the podcast! But also, Gwen has a couple of dragons working for him. There are the drakes, I think, and the dead dragon that are guarding the new Londo. Do, do we think they're working for Gwen, though, or do we think they're just like wildlife? Like, it's called the Valley of Drake, so I just assume they live in the valley. Yeah, that is true. As I walk through the Valley the of Shadow of Drakes. Drakes. <laughs> <laughs> but there is the Hellkite Drake that guards the... Uh... Yeah, there's also um, Midia, because the thing about like Midia yeah. is sort of cared for. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's like best friends with Shira, and Shira is the daughter of the Duke. Yeah, who is safe? Yeah, best friends with Gwen. But like, also, were we ever told in the series like why we had to like make dragons go extinct? Like, is there? There's never really any mention of like why we couldn't coexist, right? Well, because it goes back to what we were saying that like the dragons are like. They're, they're what the previous world was. So when a new world is born, it's like you got to sort of cleanse it and get rid of the old world. Right. Or right. at least the ones that disagree with that. This is a, an interesting thing that, like, do you know Loki, the translation guy? Um, I believe so. I believe I follow him on Twitter. He brought this up because he did a bunch of work on the dragon's dialogue in 2. And he's saying, like, no, what, what the dragon in 2 is getting at is, like, when the fire happened, like, it changed the world, and the dragons are angry that the world has changed. And, like, the dragon, like, the way it's talking, it's like, I don't understand this new world, I don't understand, like, like the world has changed, my body has also changed, like, I didn't have soul before, I suddenly do, and, like, it's... What, what the Age of Fire kind of was like, it's like, if you had a whole lot of clay, and then you fired it, like, it's not... It's not going to go back again to how it was, and the dragons are sort of like, like it was. It was probably antagonistic from the beginning. It wasn't necessarily like let's go hunt them. Like the dragons, I know that's how it's sort of presented in the intro, where it's like, and so they right. defeated the dragons. But the dragons, like, they were not happy with this situation. Right. Yeah. 
it's basically like like Gwyn caused like a whole lot of like climate change essentially, and the dragons like the antagonism sort of comes from that. Like they they literally cannot properly coexist. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Thank you, Richie. Thank you, Jake. Why did he stay at Dragon Peak Shrine after Gwyn's death? I guess for all intents and purposes, that's his home, right? Yeah. I mean, he, he's been removed from history. Like, they've, they've like, gotten rid of him. Like, he's, he's not wanted back, even. Because, like, after Gwyn's death, Gwendolyn is still in charge. So Gwendolyn probably yeah. doesn't want him back either. I mean, he left the Sunlight Blade Miracle on yeah. his tomb, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can give you another possible answer to this which is a little confusing, but I think it makes sense. Mm-hmm. He's dead. Like the nameless King, like he's just, he's dead. And when the Lords of Cinder wake up, he's one of them. He's just not mentioned in the intro and he's not necessary to like, um, Ooh. he's not because like, like right, when you look at nameless King, he is, um, People say, oh, he's hollowed, right? Because if you look at him up close, he like he has skin is all he looks like Lagarius, he's all like emaciated and gray. Mm-hmm. Well, I wouldn't say he's emaciated. He looks pretty strong to me. Well, he's an emaciated buff guy. It's like they dehydrated okay. him, and if you put him in water, he'll go back to being a himbo again. Mr. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's like very specifically, like gods don't hollow. Hollowing is something that's specific to humans. That's why it's important. Mm-hmm. So I honestly think, like, I know that he's, did he link the fire? Who knows? But the idea of, like, this bell rings, all these dead things come back to life. He just straight up looks like he was dead, and then he came back again. I think that's the simplest explanation. Yeah. I mean, you ring a bell to fight him as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. What if he's literally dead until you ring that other bell? Well, I, I think that might have been the original plan for the fight. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Like, we're going into, like, my ideas of, like, because I know all these people who do all this data mining and I've read all this stuff, but I seriously think that, like, the Archdragon Peak bell might have been, like, the big deal bell in the game. Right. Like, you may, instead of the bell rings at the start and everyone wakes up, I think at some point the original story was you had to get to Archdragon Peak to ring that bell. It was, like, the Lord Vessel, like a like two thirds of the way through the game. And that's the thing that would like trigger the final phase of the story. And now it just summons nameless, but yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, That is interesting for sure. That must suck though. Can you believe you're just sleeping, chilling, dead? Somebody rings a bell, wakes you up. You don't have your makeup on. You don't have your hair done. Nothing. And they're like, I'm going to fight you. Is that why he has the scarf covering his face? (laughs) <laughs> he's, he's usually not an emaciated skeleton, but he hasn't had time to do his hydration. Right. <laughs> needs to moisturize. Yeah. Yeah, I like I like the idea though that he would be that he could be a Lord of Cinder. I mean, he's literally Gwyn's heir, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. And the whole point of Lothric is like this is the place that links the fire. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Richie. Thank you, Jake. So now let's move on to the next question by Emlyn. If the Ashen One failed to link the fire, how did they become Ash? I guess I I have two ideas maybe why that would happen. Uh, perhaps uh, linking the fire. I mean, maybe not even perhaps. I would say almost definitely linking the fire 
requires some amount of a powerful soul, right? You can't, the average Joe can't just be like, okay, here we go. It's me, you know, <laughs> Age of Fire restored or whatever. Yeah, that's uh, what Ludlow so, tries to do and he ends up as yeah. a crispy boy. Yeah. Yeah, so perhaps maybe they became ash because they attempted to link the fire. They were just not powerful enough. So all they really did was burn themselves to a crisp. Mm-hmm. Um, my other thought is uh, they try, they're trying to link the fire was them uh, getting killed by the soul of cinder. Because we see in the Obis cinematic for three, the soul of cinder is dragging something either yeah. to or away from a bonfire. So perhaps their attempt was just thwarted by the soul of cinder. He burns them up as fuel and then you know the fail safe after the lords don't return to their thrones and then the ash just wake up because at some point they had aspirations at the very least to to the age of fire so basically dark souls 3 is a redemption story i was thinking it's a redemption story for the ashen one oh okay yeah 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 i can see that richie do you have any thoughts well, the confusing thing about the Ashen One is that you're sometimes talked about as though you're this, like, composite thing. You're, like, all of this ash that's sort of fused into a person. But then at the same time, you can just give yourself an origin where you have one defined origin. So it's kind of all over the place. Um right. Yeah, like, uh, but this is the thing. It's like, if the Ashen One failed to link the fire, how did they become ash? Like... When you look at three, all these weird things are happening to corpses. Like they're turning into trees and stuff. So it's in, and like the, the world around you is all ash. Like when you first get out of Lothric, there's these like big dunes of ash in the distance and there's, there's this like ocean. And you know, like the trees are turning to ash. The demon on the bridge is like, I think that's kind of turning to ash and there's like ash in the sky and everything. And I honestly think it's like just you failed to link the fire, you died. And then, like, your body just decomposed into ash. Huh, yeah. It's also possible that, like, like you failed to link the fire, but you still got burned up. Like, they just threw you on the fire, and yeah. you burned up, and it didn't it didn't link it because you weren't strong enough. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. This idea just randomly popped into my head that kind of doubles back a little bit to the uh, Nameless King thing you were saying, potentially being... Like Lord of Cinder, and I was thinking what the uh, the narrator says about the unkindled is nameless, cursed, undead, unfit even to be Cinder. Mm. So what if, like, he awoke when the bell tolled for the unkindled, because he's nameless, and perhaps yeah, because yeah. he abandoned everything, unfit even to wear the air of the fire that Gwyn would have liked for him to succeed. I imagine. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That just thought I'd bring it up. <laughs> deep. Speaking of deep, Gris has a question about it. Any connections between the depth in Dark Souls 1 and the deep in Dark Souls 3, at least thematically? They're both grimy. Um, yeah, they're both dark. Yeah, like... Um, <laughs> the, the connection is like the deep in... The, the depths in one is literally a sewer. Yeah. The deep in three, like, it's not given a specific point of origin, but, like, they do say at one point the deep was the deep was calm and peaceful, and then it became mm-hmm. kind of disgusting. Yeah. And it kind of, it, it is, like, basically a sewer when you get there. Like, all the, the water that's coming out of the statues is poisonous and everything. 
So I think it, it, yeah, and like the the flesh of Aldrich is similar to the slime that you find in the depths. So I think the idea is like, yeah, it it became that. It was like a holy place that was polluted with all of this like blood and body parts and excrement. And then it it turned into, it's like just like polluted it. Yeah. So like the depths were the sewer of Lordran and the deep is the sewer of the world. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of begs the question is what tainted it? And because we know humani- the humanity dregs sink to the bottom, right? And yeah, the, the yeah. Agnifier is just continuously recycled with humanity. And eventually all this humanity becomes stagnant. And we know that an overdose of humanity, it, at least to mortal beings, is in a way toxic, you know, like Manus and all the abyss touched people in Ulysseel. So perhaps, you know, just a constant recycling of humanity. And the dregs of it falling is eventually what caused the toxicity. I think it's that the guy who was overseeing the dregs was a cannibal. Yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah. And (laughs) do you know when I hear the word meek, do you know what I think about? Suna? What? This is just a guess. I don't know. The foul beasts will dangle nectar and lure the the meek meek into the death. Yeah, that was your nursery, your nursery rhyme version. <laughs> the foul beasts with angle nectar lure the meek into the depths. It would be nice to hear some observations about the visuals of the creatures of the sewers, especially the gaping dragon and the creatures in the waters of Irithyll and the couple of beasts we found in that location and if they're connected. Okay, so the gaping dragon... The game makes a point that the gaping dragon has taken on that form because it's a reflection of its nature. So its its head has shrunk, its wings have shrunk, it's sort of lost a lot of like the majesty that you would associate with being a dragon. And in, in place of that, it has this gigantic mouth that's just eating and eating and eating. And like when you meet it, it's at the base of this sewer runoff and it's like presumably eating all the stuff that's falling down off the off the runoff. And then if you look at um, the the sewer centipedes, they're kind of the same. They're just like eating filth. Mm-hmm. So you also have the Sullivan beasts and you meet them in the in the stagnant sort of reservoir where all the, the dregs are. And they have a similar look to them. They're like the, the rib cage is sort of open. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I th- and like the we've talked before about the way that the Souls games and like Japanese horror in general kind of uses centipedes as a sign of like, this place is corrupt. This place is disgusting. Like the most obvious being like the vermin in bloodborne, like the, the root of corruption is a centipede. So I think the idea is like, yeah, you, whatever you are, you start taking on the, the traits that are associated with things in the sewer with like, just sort of with waste and with like corruption and everything. So they're all sort of thematically linked in terms of their design. Right, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Cool, thank you. The next question is from Spadcaster. Does Jake have any thoughts or theories on frog rays or trail lizards? <laughs> uh, n- not particularly. Uh, <laughs> y- yeah, no. I. Spudcaster is someone in the server who really loves animals (laughs) and they know a lot about them yeah he probably knows uh knows more about them than i do then (laughs) i've not put too much time looking into the 
frogs and lizards. Perhaps I should now, though. <laughs> I think they're just wildlife. Dark Souls does it less because it's like explicitly a fantasy story from the beginning. But one of the things that the Souls games have done is that they've they've sort of rooted the world more in like biological stuff. Like this is just a place and these things are happening whether you want whether like the gods are watching or not. So like like in Demon Souls, a lot the when you go into Stonefang Tunnel, there's like the cast off shells of the bugs everywhere to just show you like yeah these things are just molting in the tunnels like this is just part of their life cycle so i just think that like the animals in dark root they're just animals in dark root like along with the, right. the cats and everything they're just these like this is the fauna yeah yeah it's just an ecosystem existing yeah yeah thank you richie thank you jake the next question is from cinder thief and shroomy any new theories on Velka? <laughs> Any new theories? No. I I have plans to kind of revise some of my older ones. Give us something, Jake. You're the Velka expert. Okay, okay. So, originally my my whole grand thing, right, was when like Three years ago, I think it was, is when I said Velka is the could be the furtive pygmy and the witch of Azeroth. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And that was like that was like my biggest Dark Souls conspiracy moment. And ironic, the most fun I've had like putting the theory together just because it was so like it was so like basement dwelling, like red <laughs> red string all over the place. Like but that was fun. And that's uh, that's what I loved about Dark Souls, so I did it. But obviously it's you know, not everybody's cup of tea because it is out there. Mm-hmm. And I didn't originally plan. It's actually a funny story. I got two separate messages, oddly enough, like a week ago, one on Twitter, one on Discord, to uh, people pointing me to a Reddit thread where there was this, these group of people that uh, like just hated that I existed. But, like, <laughs> because it was like a thread Aww. like, what? Uh, I'm trying to get into Dark Souls lore or something. What YouTubers should I look up? And like there were like three or four people like absolutely not the Ashen Hollow. He's like a piece of shit who thinks Velka is everything. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, I immediately was like, okay, I'm definitely making more Velka videos. <laughs> <laughs> but like, and I get that to a point. Like, obviously, like, and I don't like actually like I'm not like that's my head cannon is Velka's all those things. Like that's yeah, yeah. where I have fun with the game is coming up. Yeah. With something wild, like really wild, but when I lay it out, you're like, "Oh shit!" That makes like a little <laughs> bit of sense, like in the context that I explained it, and that's the point of it. But yeah. I do, at least as I've matured, I suppose over the years, like to come up with more like sensible theories. Yeah. Also, like the canonical end of Dark Souls Three is that you have to get the Dark Soul out of somebody's blood and make it into paint. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> at this point, like, <laughs> yeah, I think it's fine to just say like, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't have necessarily any new theories, but I do want to make some of my older ones more sensible. And I like the idea of, uh, portraying Velka to be like the witch of Isleth rather than the witch of Isleth mm-hmm. and the furtive pygmy. Cause I think there's a lot, because, like, obviously, you don't just become the goddess of sin, right? Like, like 
that's something that you would think is born out of like tragedy and experience, right? You don't just like all of a sudden preside over sin. Like it feels yeah. like something you would have to like, you really have to like hit rock bottom and know what sin is. And that kind of correlates with my idea that, you know, the events of Isolith were the first sin. And to me, that makes sense yeah. that she would yeah. be birthed from a tragedy like that. Because I still, to this day, do not believe that the witch of, of Isolith is the bed of chaos or is the bug within the bed of chaos. Because there's multiple references to like the bed of chaos is what was birthed from the flame of chaos, not from the witch and the flame yeah. consumed the witch and her daughters, which we know has various meanings, right? Some were dis- yeah, disfigured. Yeah. Uh, even Quailana is wrong. She says all of her sisters are dead or disfigured, but there's the one standing right outside the bed of chaos that is seemingly unscathed. And a lot of people like definitively believe, and that's always their biggest problem with that theory, is they definitively believe that the Witch of Isolith is the bed of chaos. And I just think that that is not the case at all. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no no new theories on Velka. Just uh, be reiterating and kind of touching up some older ones and making bringing them more in line to making actual sense. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you. But if, if I do have new ideas on Velka, I will absolutely make videos. Don't worry. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Richie, do you have any new theories on Velka? Not not really. I guess my only thing I would add is like we, we actually did a Velka episode not that long ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things I talked about there is like like Jake was talking about like sin is sort of born in tragedy and stuff. And I was sort of saying like if you look at the way sin is done in Dark Souls, it's um a lot of it is almost like legalistic in nature. It's not like this like Catholic thing where right. it's like, oh, it's like imprinted Ten upon me. There is a great sin. It's like you did some, like you broke the law. Mm-hmm. So according to like our, you know, our like book, this is the punishment you get. Like you, because that's how dark moons work. Like if you commit a sin, you get killed once for every sin that you do, and then you're free. Like your sin actually goes away. Mm-hmm. So to me, like the notion of Velka is not necessarily like a tragic figure. It's just like a, um, almost like a, like a prosecutor. Like, it's just like, it's your job to know like what is and is not a sin and then to met out punishment. Right. And that's, that to me is why she's talked about as like, she's a rogue deity. She's outside of it because if you are in charge literally of like, you know, administering justice, administering the law, you would want to be away from everything. So you're not, you're meant to be unbiased. It's like justice is blind. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Legalistic rather than, um, rather than like, you know, this is an innate sort of sin that you've committed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in Russian, there's a word that sounds like Velka. Is there? Um, yeah. It's pronounced Vilka, like an E instead of an E. And uh, it means fork. Nice. Yeah. Think about that. Uh, yeah, I'll have to I'll have to ponder on that. <laughs> what about Veruca? What's Veruca? It's a kind of wart. It's a what? Kind of wart. Don't look it up. It'll look gross. <laughs> the first result I got when I put Veruca in Google Images is Veruca salt. Well, in a sense, like Willy Wonka is kind of like Velka, because if you if you commit a sin on the tour, you're punished. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Willy Wonka? Yeah. Willy Velka. Oh my god! Wow. 
Jake, are you sure you want to start working on the more sensible theories? No, I'm trying to think of what the golden tickets will be so I can start working this into a video. Richie, do the outro. That was questions for Jake with aptly Jake. Woo! Jake, where can people find you? Uh, Person with 10 times as many subscribers as us. <laughs> uh, yeah, just YouTube, uh, The Ash and Hollow, and then Twitter, the same handle. Those are really the only places I have any sort of presence. Thanks so much for coming on. This was super fun. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Thank you, we did too. Some people might ask, why did this take so long? <laughs> well, actually, there's a logical explanation. Because, like, two years ago... Jake and I discovered that we both like Alien and stuff. And I was like, oh my god, I have the perfect idea. I'm gonna play the Alien game, the scary one, and then we can discuss it on the podcast. I played it for like five minutes and I was so scared and I just couldn't pick it up again. And it became clear like this is not gonna happen. Why don't we just talk about Dark Souls? So, yeah. Nice. If you do ever get around to playing the game i do definitely want to be on the alien podcast i fucking love alien so much maybe we should just discuss the movie at some point i will discuss any of it i have all the novels i have all the graphic novels oh my god there are novels oh yeah there's a there's a pretty large extended universe yeah amazing i remember really being into the extended universe as a like early teenager because my parents wouldn't actually let me watch them because they were rated r Oh, damn. So I would just like <laughs> read the books. <laughs> I was reading the comic books and like all this other stuff, but I wasn't uh, actually allowed to watch them. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the Union, we didn't have ratings, so I would like watch all the scary movies with my parents ever since I was like born. <laughs> well, again, Jake, thank you so, so much for coming. This was awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thank you, Richie. Thank you, Sin. And thanks, everyone, for listening. See y'all next time. Bye. Oh, boy. Bye.